listening to Adoption, Fostering and Tea from the UK's LGBT plus adoption and fostering charity, New Family Social. Find us at newfamilysocial.org.uk. I'm Tor, and this week I'm going to be having a cup of tea with Charlie and talking about adopting a child as a gender variant person. Hi Charlie, thank you so much for coming. Hi Tor. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well, thanks. It's very sunny and lovely here. Oh, look at you. It's not here at all. I'm really interested in your story because so far there aren't loads of gender variant people going through the adoption process and being out. And there are some and more and more. But I was really interested in hearing from you really about that journey. Do you mind telling us a bit about to what stage you're at in that process? I am a trans non-binary adopter and I adopted my child uh, nearly four years ago. Um, and I started the process to adopt two and a half years before that. But I've been in this game for a little while. Um, and <laughs> this as... game forever. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does feel like that sometimes. As far as we know, um, I was the first non-binary person to be out through the whole adoption process. Certainly haven't been able to find anyone else who was out. And so when you were approaching that process, did you know at that stage that few, if any, people had done it before? Um, I knew there were other trans adopters and I had assumed there would be other non-binary adopters um, because whilst we are a small group, we, there are lots of us in the world and I was had been hoping that I wouldn't be the first. That you did have that honour, it seems. <laughs> seems that way. Um, but hopefully yes. now that I've done it, it will be easier for everyone else coming along behind me. Well, I think that's the case, actually, because... Um when we hear sort of nervousness within the system about trans and non-binary adopters, actually a lot of what's said mirrors exactly what was said about gay men 10 years ago. You know, it's, oh, the child won't cope. Why put them through being different in another way? What if they get bullied? And, and on and on. And it's, it was the exact same stuff. So the arguments and the concerns, if you like, aren't new, but it's just being applied to a new group. Yeah. They kept um, saying that it would be too confusing for the child. And in my experience, children don't find trans people confusing. They don't find non-binary people confusing. It's the adults who are confused. Yeah, I think we see that there's a sort of projection of I'm fine with it. It's just everybody else might not be fine with it. And so there's this constant kind of passing this baton of no no I'm fine but I'm worried it won't be fine at the family finding stage or oh well I'm at the family finding stage and I worry it won't be fine at the school stage or whatever it is and everybody's worried about the next step as a way of saying no really yeah so when you first approached an agency how was that uh so first off I am I'm that sort of person that I made a spreadsheet of all of the agencies in my area <laughs> uh and You're I my kind of <laughs> I literally rang around every single one and was like, hi, I'm thinking of adoption. Do you have any experience of having a trans adopter in your agency? Um, and every single one said no, which was quite shocking to me. I was, I had expected that some experience somewhere in my large city or one of the neighbouring cities, um, but no, nobody had had any experience whatsoever. So then it was a case of trying to work out who was going to be sort of most LGBT plus friendly in general. Mm. Some places, if they were like, what's trans? I just quietly crossed them off my list. Um, whether others who were able to speak more convincingly about being really positive about having a trans adopter, not having the experience, but sort of being really up for it and having lots of experience of um, LGB adopters and foster carers. 
Yes, I guess you've sometimes got to take one thing as a marker for another, haven't you? If they're friendly in this way, then maybe they'll be able to make that leap. But yeah, it's a shame that you you couldn't find anyone that had that direct experience. So you selected an agency based on that. And then how was the process for you? The first meeting when the social worker came to my house was a bit rocky, to be honest. Um, So it was... She had known before she came that I was trans and she'd clearly done some research and they tried to prepare. Um, I think they'd got the wrong end of the stick. So we had a really confusing conversation where we were talking totally across purposes until I realised that she thought that I was a trans woman, uh, whereas I'm in fact non-binary. So she's asking me all sorts of questions about surgery and I was trying to explain that I don't, I haven't had any surgery, I have no interest in having any surgery and that my transition was complete. They kept asking, was my transition complete? I was like, what does that mean? Transition yes. isn't a, there's not a checklist of all the things you have to do and then you're transitioned. So yeah, yeah the, the initial conversation was quite confusing. And I remember really fun, funny moments uh, where she was asking me about my sort of, the reasons why I wanted to adopt. And I was like, well, you know, as a queer person, I hadn't assumed that I'm necessarily going to sort of make a baby with someone. And she's like, are you allowed to say that? I was like, yes, I am queer. I'm allowed to say the word queer. Don't worry. <laughs> but luckily, from then on, things were much better with that agency. Um, I was assigned a different social worker for my stage one and stage two and through into family finding. So it sounds like even at that stage, though, you were having to do the educating. Is that fair to say? Yes, there was definitely some like 101 trans awareness conversations happening um, and that happened but that was the case right the way through um, with that in sort of initial in, initial expression of interest social worker in training in family finding yeah the whole way through are, are there things that you can see as key things that they got right and then kind of key things that they got wrong I think one of the key things that they got right was that they were positive and interested and really willing to put in extra effort to learn about what was the right way to refer to me and what would be helpful to me the the, my other social workers the socials that I had later on were better about understanding that I am non-binary and the difference between what between non-binary and um, other types of trans identities and I think that was helpful they'd done a bit more research and they actually we were on the same page by that point and that helped And they also made sure that all of the social workers that were dealing with me and all of the panel members that were going to be assessing me did some training with New Family Social um, so that they were getting that one-on-one education from New Family Social rather than from me as the adopter. Yes, which I think is probably always good advice that they ought to go and skill up somewhere else, really. Because, you know, while you're being assessed, it's very difficult to also be the educator. Those roles aren't ever so easily compatible. No, the, so the power differential is a tricky place to be sort of like correcting your social worker when they're the one who's deciding whether or not you can have a child. Yeah, absolutely. And so you got through panel and then I guess moved on to family finding. And how was that? Family finding was pretty rough, to be honest. My social worker, in fact, I had two social workers because um, I was expressing interest in so many children and hearing nothing back. Um, they actually gave me a second social worker to try and sort of spread the workload and sort of give me that extra support during family finding. And obviously, in most cases, I have no way of knowing why I wasn't chosen for a particular child or children. 
but in some cases I was explicitly told that the reason that they wouldn't consider me for a match with a child or children was because I'm trans. How did it feel to hear that? I was I was shocked. I don't know why I'm shocked because I'm so used to experiencing transphobia, but I think I had slightly higher expectations of social workers at the time. Um, I sort of assumed that if you were a social worker, that you would be sort of up to date with equality and diversity and that you would be positively wanting to sort of include different types of people and represent the whole diversity of families that there are in our society. But I was seeing some really like 1950s nonsense. I remember seeing a profile saying that a child needed to have a two-parent family, a mother and a father, because they needed a strong male role model and also someone to provide nurturing care. And this wow. was something that they had written down <laughs> as a professional wow. document that they were putting out there into the world and they were happy for that. They thought that was professionally acceptable. It's so ingrained, isn't it? And I think sometimes LGBT plus people approach thinking that there is this ideal in mind of mummy, daddy and the white picket fence and all that sort of stuff. And in loads of cases, that's now gone, but it does crop up still. And clearly it cropped up for you more than once and in writing. Yeah. And I don't think that as yet there's any sort of level playing field between lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans and plus, you know, all the other identities. You know, it does feel that agencies are now very used to putting through gay men and lesbians and you know, still with some problems sometimes, but nothing like there was. But those problems now remain for gender variant people, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm also bisexual, and it didn't even occur to me that that might be a contentious thing in adoption and fostering. Um, but I have learned <laughs> later that there's actually not that many out bi people who are adopting and fostering, um, or at least no. fewer than I had expected. A lot fewer, yeah. <laughs> Almost none, in fact, <laughs> officially. So, yeah, I think maybe people are just allowing assumptions to be made or you know sort of encouraging an assumption to be made sometimes for an easier ride which isn't great because they're not seeing the whole person yeah um I did find that um obviously there were some really like explicitly transphobic social workers out there or sometimes the social worker might be supportive but their boss might be more wary so sometimes I'd be having a conversation with the social worker and they'd be really enthusiastic and they'd sort of we'd exchange information or I'd read through all the child's report they'd read through my report and we'd be like looking at next steps and then suddenly radio silence and then a quiet no we're not interested and it had clearly gone up to their boss and been cut off at that level but there were also social workers who were really um who seemed to sort of recognize the skills and experience that I have like a lots of experience around um mental health and disability and working with children and a really strong support network. There were lots of social workers who did recognise that and also those particular qualities that I bring as an LGBT person. Um, and they were really positive about trying to find a match for me. It was just a case of waiting until one of those social workers had a child who was the right child for me and I was the right parent for that child or children. So I went to a lot of the profile exchange days and I think it really helped going and them seeing a sort of a, a 3D version of me and like, oh yeah, this is a person, not a piece of paper with some unfamiliar terminology. Yes. So I think that humanising factor really helped. Yeah, I can I can sort of see that in, in you describing what went on. I just wonder how it was for you to have to keep facing that because for all that, if you're used to experiencing discrimination, then 
yes, you know, there is there is a sort of resilience that comes with that, but there's also a weariness that comes with that. And I wonder how you were able to cope really through that constant front and centre stuff about your gender identity being used as a reason to reject you, being used as a reason to sort of dehumanise you. And I just, yeah, I, you know, I guess you've developed a resilience, but I can't imagine that that was easy, particularly with something so personal like parenting. It was really hard, not going to lie. Um, I think my social workers were worried that I would give up during family finding. I think they expected that I would sort of, in the face of the amount of rejection that I was getting, that I would give up. But I guess I'm just a very determined slash stubborn person. Um, <laughs> and there'd be times where <laughs> there were times where I was feeling quite sort of emotionally robust and sort of being really able to get actively involved in family finding and going to activity days, going to exchange days, spending lots of time on Linkmaker, um, expressing interest myself. Um, and then there'd be other times where I'd ask my social workers to take more of a lead and to only get in touch with me if we got to a stage where a social worker wanted to give me a child's report to read through. Because mm-hmm. I stopped um, sort of in the, in, the, in the early days of family finding, um, I kept thinking that every child that was, was I was presented with was like, you know, really imminent possibility and sort of like picturing my life with that child and really thinking through what ways would I be a good match for them? What ways might I not be a good match for them? How would I involve them, include them in my life and my family? And I'd get sort of spend a lot of time thinking about each child. But I think to protect myself, I started only putting that level of emotional investment in once a social worker had read through my report, knew that I was trans and was still interested. Um, and that, yeah, I think putting some some protection up, emotional protection up for myself did help me get through it. Yeah, I, I mean, I do remember that stage of a sort of parade of children almost. And in a way, you're almost encouraged to attach to them because you're asked to make a case for why you would be good for that child. So you do have to do that journey of imagining them in your life and so on. And I remember there was one child that we were really interested in. And I became sort of, you know, I keep looking at the photo and phoning them and, you know, trying to find out what on earth was going on. And in the end, we were rejected for that child. And it felt like a proper loss because yeah, I'd sort of invested and similarly decided that actually you can't really keep doing that. And it is really hard anyway to start start to imagine a specific child with you when you've never laid eyes on this specific child. Um, but yeah, I imagine going through that to the volume that you did must have been really, really hard. Like literally, literally hundreds of children. So I was approved for one or two children between naught and seven. I live in a second floor flat, so I excluded children whose mobility issues I wouldn't be able to meet. And I also, um, for me, didn't feel able to parent a child with a life-limiting condition. But I was open to literally every other type of need. So you can imagine the huge number of children that that encompasses. So, that yeah, it was literally hundreds of children that I expressed interest in and was often ignored, sometimes rejected, sometimes explicitly rejected because I'm trans. But just kept going. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And there's there's obviously two people who are losing out in that because one is you being repeatedly discriminated against and one is a parade of children who really need a family. Yeah, there was one that was particularly tough. Um, so it was a child that I met um, at an activity day. So it's like a, a children's party, but all the kids there are um, hopefully are hoping to be adopted and lots of the grown-ups there are prospective adopters. 
And so I'd met this child um, and I was trying to be really responsible because you're not meant to like monopolize a child's attention at one of those events, but she was just really drawn to me and I was really drawn to her. And we, she kept sort of like following me around the different activities and we did loads of stuff together. And at the end, she didn't want me to leave and her sort of foster carers had to like drag her away from me. And it was, uh, I'd spoken to her foster carers and I'd spoken to the family finder and everyone was so, so positive about sort of this potential match. And she was eight years old and so they, I think they were, starting to worry that she wouldn't ever be adopted and it was so so positive and but their agency said no it would be too confusing to her because I'm non-binary wow I was like I think she'd rather have a non-binary parent than no parent yeah absolutely and I mean as you say and you know the children who come to camp who might ask us about gender identity or my own kids asking about it as you say, they're just very accepting of it because kids learn everything new. You know, what's that thing called? Oh, it's called a car. What's that thing called? Oh, it's called a shed. What does this mean? What does that mean? What's a cat? What's a dog? You know, everything is new, everything. Yeah. And so the fact that you say to them that gender is broader than male and female, they don't, That it's like, okay, that's it. That's the entirety of the conversation. Yeah. Kid, yeah, kids get it straight away. It's grown-ups that need longer. Yeah, absolutely. So... Tell me about the first time that you heard about the child that would become your child. Um, I actually heard about them. So I, I came across them myself on Linkmaker. And simultaneously, my social worker heard about them and was like, oh, my God, this child would be a really brilliant match for Charlie. I've got to get I've got to ring Charlie. So I'd read about them on Linkmaker. It said that they really they were really into poetry at sort of six, seven years old. And I thought that was the cutest thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really into Barbies and football and poetry. And I was like, this kid, this kid is full of character. <laughs> um, and they really are. <laughs> they really, really are. Um, so I'd heard about this kid on Linkmaker and I was really excited about them and I expressed interest there. And then that same day, I also got a phone call from my social worker saying, there's a trans kid who they're looking for adopters for. And I was like, what? That'd be amazing. Because of course, as a trans person, I'm going to be a great household for a agenda questioning a trans kids um tell me more about them and my social worker's telling me about this kid and I was like hang on is this kid also on link maker because I think I've already expressed interest without even knowing this child is trans brilliant <laughs> but yeah so I expressed interest in link maker and my social worker also followed up um and at the time um they were still waiting for some legal processes to go through so there was a lot of waiting so I was really excited and interested the child and my child's social workers were really excited and interested in me and but there was like a two-month wait for a court date so there was a lot of holding my breath <laughs> and crossing my fingers that. and trying not to get too excited um because I was quite emotionally bruised at this point it had been like more than a year of constant rejection at this point but uh, the court case happened and it was decided that adoption was the best plan for them and so yeah, we started exploring this match. I had a link meeting um, at my house and my flat has never been tidier. <laughs> uh, and we had, yeah, packed my living room full of social workers because uh, I had two social workers and they brought four people up from um, the city where my child was from. Um, wow. And uh, yeah, it was a very intense meeting, but I liked everything that I heard and they liked everything that they heard. And they chose me. Oh, congratulations. I know it's I know it's a while ago, but still. Um, 
so then I guess you moved on to introductions. Was that quite fast once the decisions had been made? Um, it would seem to be a whole lot of waiting and then it moved incredibly quickly. So because my child's got quite a lot of additional needs, they wanted me to have loads of information before that final panel to match us. So yes. um, I had some bump into meetings with them at the park where they didn't know that and no, no, nobody knew for definite whether or not I was going to adopt them, which was, which was weird, incredible, but weird. Um, and I also yes. had meetings with the medical advisor and I had meetings with the foster carer with, and with um, the, my child's school. Um, so trying to give me as much information as possible before that final decision, but nothing that I heard phased me and it then happened yeah, really, really fast. So I went to panel on a Friday and on Monday we started introductions. Wow, that's really fast. It was, it was. What was that so like? Uh, <laughs> freaking out? Or? Um, I was frantically pre- preparing their room um, and I was, I had to sort of like drive five hours home, frantically prepare the flat and then pack everything that I would need for introductions and drive five hours um, south again. Mm. Oh my word! That <laughs> sounds like a nightmare. Uh, and then an exciting one, <laughs> of course. Yeah. Um, and what was it like when you first met your child, knowing that this was the one? For so exciting! So oh. so exciting! Um, and uh, they were really excited as well. Apparently, uh, the socialists had been really worried about how they were going to introduce me to Jordan um, and how they were going to explain the fact that I'm non-binary. Um, but I gave them some advice and suggested some books that they could read with Jordan. And when they did explain, um, Jordan's like, oh, you mean like me? And then just carried on playing. Oh, wow. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. And what advice did you give them? How did you suggest that they explain that? I said to keep it very simple um, and say that when people are born, the doctors look at their bodies and guess whether or not they're a boy or a girl. And sometimes mm-hmm. doctors get it right and sometimes doctors get it wrong. Um, and some people who you guess are a girl are actually boys or vice versa. And some people aren't girls or boys and that I'm not a boy or a girl. Mm. And at seven years old, that's all they really needed to know. Yes. And, and they accepted that. And the social workers sounds like they delivered that as you'd asked. Do you feel that that was what was done? Um, sort of. I my okay. is, so they did they did do that the first time they told the child about me they used my dead name and referred to me as mum okay uh, and then this and then we had a conversation and they they went back and they did it again properly how did you know they'd done that I think they mentioned it I can't remember if it was the foster care or a social worker that told me that they'd done that and I was like um what yeah wow <laughs> Okay, so it sounds like they, they got it right sort of second time round yeah. with a bit of prompting. But luckily the um, foster carer is really wonderful. She like She's amazing. Um, she's still a really big part of our life. Like We go on holiday together every year and she was so supportive as me, of me as, as the parent of uh, my child, as, as the adopter and really accepting of me as a non-binary parent as well. That's really good. How's sort of parenting life? You know, how, how are things now? It's been a while. And how has that journey been? Uh, yep. So we're, we're four years in, more or less. And it's definitely been, we've had some rocky patches. But yeah, I I'm, I'm, wouldn't change it for the world. My kid is amazing. Just like, as I guessed from that little snippet of information on 
um, on Late Maker, my child is a huge character, just really interested in the world, really quick, really clever, um, really active, uh, really creative. Just, yeah, my kids are brilliant. Yeah, our life together is just so rich. We do, we have amazing times together. And like, yes, I have to spend a lot of time sort of in meetings with school or taking them to appointments, had to deal with like some child to parent violence, had to deal with lots of things, but yeah, so worth it. And I can see how much my child has changed um, and in sort of blossomed since they've been living with me. I think what really highlighted is I took um, on their first day at new of their, at their new school, I took a picture of them in the front door in their new uniform, as you do. Um, <laughs> and I was sort of like, at the time I was showing it and I'm really proud. He's like, look, look, it's their first day of school. And then the next September, um, I took another first day of school photo and I put them side by side and like they're transformed. Um, really? Yeah, you could just see that actually the second photo, there was real happiness, real confidence, real pride, real connection. And the first one was like this sort of like bravado they've been putting on. But yeah, nowadays they're just much, much happier than they were. I really recognise that photos thing because we have photos of our child when he first arrived and I thought he's smiling. You know, this is a happy child who is smiling. Yeah. And looking back, his eyes just look dead and later photos look like an actual smiling child. So the child that I thought at the time, hand on heart thought, was doing really fine and everything, yeah. actually with hindsight and also with that detailed knowledge of him as a person, it wasn't what I thought it was. That was, as you say, a front. Yeah. But So... Your journey has been, let's say, bumpy. Um, I just wonder what advice you would have for people in your situation who are thinking, could I go through that? Could I adopt or foster? Is it going to be worth it? Is it going to be a complete nightmare? You know, you know what would you say to people? I would say that non-binary people absolutely can adopt and foster and can make brilliant adopters and foster carers. And that particularly in case of non-binary people, to use my example because one of the things that was hard for me was that social workers were nervous about being the first person the first agency to do it they didn't know how it might go they didn't know how a child might react they didn't know how the daily mail might react yeah but and I was I I spent quite a lot of time desperately trying to find someone else that I could point to and say look they did it it's fine but now everyone else who's doing it can point to me and say look they did it and it's fine so yeah, hopefully things will be better now. Well, indeed, yeah, I think that's so important to be, you know, essentially the person that blazed that trail. And hopefully it will be easier as time goes on and as more and more people go through. Because ultimately that's what will make the difference is that this goes from being the once it ever happened to, you know, a thousand times this has happened and everyone survived and thrived, you know? Yeah. And as soon as we can get to that, this isn't going to be an issue anymore. Hopefully. Indeed. Lovely. Thank you so much. I'd like to thank my guest today, Charlie. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. Follow us on Twitter at LGBT Adopt Foster and on Facebook, search New Family Social, all one word. Visit our website at newfamilysocial.org.uk. Adoption, Fostering and Tea is produced by New Family Social. The presenter was me, Tor Doherty, with music from Matt Doherty. The producer was John Jenkins. We'll be back next week with more guests and more tea.